Welcome to this week's Hotel Analyst podcast, uh, the first one of April 2022. And as usual, you'll find us bringing you uh, thoughts on three important topics in the hotel and operational real estate space. Uh, this week, I am joined, as usual, by Andrew Sankster, the Editorial Director of Hotel Analyst. My name is Chris Bound, the Editor at Hotel Analyst. And we're going to start off by taking a look at what's been going on in China recently, um, where we've, we were spurred to, to do this, perhaps by having some numbers just out from the Chinese budget operator Huazhou. Uh, who are telling us that, well, things have picked up quite nicely in China, but then they've they've got a bit kind of uh, staccato, I guess, if you were a musical type, um, a bit zigzag on the old graphical performance front, because uh, China is as a as a nation adopting this zero COVID strategy, which means they keep on closing down and locking down parts of the uh, the country, region by region, uh, whenever they see a kind of um, uh, a brewing of, of lots of COVID cases. Uh, that means businesses have to effectively shut down. And of course, it means if you're a hotelier, you end up suddenly not able to, to trade for a, a short while. Uh, so after a, what looked like uh, a very promising period when the Chinese market really was recovering ahead of all others after the first big shock of the pandemic, uh, we are now in a sort of situation where the, the Chinese market has failed to get back to kind of largely previous levels of activity because of this this sort of on-off nature of uh, the the government's reaction to COVID. Um, however, despite this, uh, the big brands are still ploughing on and we've had some, uh, some big numbers recently from the likes of Marriott, Accor and so on who insist they are going to be pushing on and uh, growing their portfolios in China. Uh, even quicker before. The irony, of course, is that uh, they are way behind the pace of Huazhou, who added <laughs> added a net 1,041 hotels during 2021, and nearly all of those were in China. One or two of them were in uh, in Europe, uh, but uh, they they really just keep on cracking on with growth. They are slightly pushing now up from their super economy uh, base into some more mid-market hotels and uh, they of course were the people who bought Deutsche Hospitality with unfortunate timing just before the pandemic hit Um, so they are actually introducing some of the Deutsche brands into uh, their Chinese portfolio now as well. Um, So frustrating times it seems if you are running a uh, hotel operational business in China uh, probably wishing and hoping that uh, you're going to see the uh, the back end of uh, the COVID pandemic, just as those of us in the West would like to think we already have now. So running a hotel business in China is probably just slightly worse than running one in Germany. So mm. poor old Wazoo has got <laughs> yes. the worst of all worlds, really. Um, so just it, to, as, to indicate just how bad it is in China right now, um, the latest RevPAR stats from STR show um, that RevPAR is back to where it was in April 2020. Um, gruesome, mm. yes. Um, and I mean, that is truly gruesome. Um, and it's 62% below uh, where it was in 2019. 
um, and it's 49% down from where it was in 2021. I mean, you referenced that recovery. Of course, it wasn't a recovery back to full health, but mm. it was certainly looking quite strong last year. Um, we were right back down there. Um, so, I mean, the question is just how long are they going to pursue this zero COVID policy um, and inflict all of the economic damage um, on the people? I think given what's happening in Hong Kong right now, um, I think we could well see a, a lot longer period for this zero COVID policy. The problem, of course, in Hong Kong, well, there's two things which are a problem, actually. One is people aren't vaccinated, and two, when they are vaccinated, they're vaccinated with um, Chinese vaccines, which aren't as effective as Western vaccines. Um, and so the death rates now from Omicron, which is a milder vi uh, variant, but still deadly if you haven't had an effect vaccine and unfortunately a lot of old people in Hong Kong haven't had any vaccines even the relatively um, uh, less effective uh, Chinese ones um, so th that's a not a good situation we've got this soaring death rate in Hong Kong right now and a health service which is barely able to cope um, at the same time they're actually being forced to liberalize uh, well and this is all relative of course so you've now got a, a mere week of uh, um, quarantine if you decide to go to the country rather than the previous 14 days um, but uh, it, it is it, it is hugely problematic now in terms of economically and in terms of just how it's working out Hong Kong in terms of uh, uh, death and disease so uh if this occurs in mainland china i think it's uh going to be very difficult indeed but it's hard to see how we're out of this any point in this year actually and it's going to go probably into next year so goodness knows when this this mess ends actually um i think better news for germany um it, it is materially underperforming most other european countries at the moment the germans simply aren't releasing the uh, people out of the restrictions in the same way that other parts of europe are i mean obviously here in the uk we're pretty much back to normal now i mean it's barely anywhere you go you see a face mask now um and they've even got rid of them on airplanes um confusingly i mean jet 2 i think has got rid of all face masks mm -hmm. um ba has a bizarre policy and i think easyjet has the same policy where you only have to wear a face mask if it's necessary in the place you're arriving in which is <laughs> which, <laughs> well why why is it okay if, if you you know why do you have to wear one um for that but you don't have to wear one if you're going somewhere which doesn't have a man um, a face mandatory mask policy anymore it's it's just surreal anyway that's uh, um that's uh you know it's up to them how they want to to do things i guess um i, I don't think it's going to help the recovery particularly on the, on that but the big thing for the uk of course is we don't even have to fill in a passenger locator form anymore so there's absolutely no restrictions on entry into the uk at all and that's all gone which is fantastic although as always chris we have to say it's gone in england but uh <laughs> june in wales masks are going indoors i can't remember oh, it's, uh, it's quite a long while and scotland i think now um interestingly the uh, scottish first minister nicola sturgeon turned up at uh, um the Duke of Edinburgh's funeral um, or other commemoration uh, service and decided to go maskless uh, despite mandating it in her 
um, <laughs> home country. So um, anyway, she, <laughs> she, but she has now decided. Oops, yes, that does look a bit hypocritical. So we're we're we're, we're getting rid of face masks in Scotland, but I think uh, Mark Drake. Drakeford in Wales is intent on keeping things going for longer for you guys then well over there in Cardiff Chris the observation um, percentage is quite low I have to tell you in reality okay good <laughs> good good well we just need to get back to back to normality as soon as possible um but uh, it, it, going back to the the hotel situation so analysts at Morgan Stanley they reckon uh, Doja Hospitality needs to have Revpar back to at least 70% of what it was at in 2019 to reach EBITDA break-even. Um, it's currently still 50% below 2019 levels in Germany, so it's still hemorrhaging cash um, at Deutsche. And in fact, just as we sat down to record this podcast, news broke that Huazu uh, uh, had fired the uh, senior team at um, well, rather, they had um, the senior team had left at, <laughs> <laughs> at Dorsia Hospitality. Um, so um, it's um, clearly there's a great deal of dissatisfaction on performance there, I would suspect. Um, the wider point I want to make, though, all that said about you know the challenges and stuff with COVID in China, I mean, ultimately, that will come good. Um, uh, I fear it's going to be rather longer um, than it ought to be. But uh, um, the bigger challenge, though, is, is actually partly touches and leads us into our next story, Ukraine. Um, but it's the impact of, of of that of that invasion by Russia, which I think has put globalization into reverse gear and i took a, a look um as a a blog out from um newton investment management they're part of bny mellon one of the world's biggest asset management um firms and um their analyst richard bullock said historians in years to come may well look back on russia's invasion of ukraine as the event that definitively ended the last 30-year process of international integration and global globalization and this is going to have big impacts on our sector i think there's uh, a number of things which are instantly um uh, obvious from from this sort of deglobalizing world uh, the first is that assets outside of the west so and um, just to be clear when we say the west it's not entirely a strict geographic uh, definition because we're including places like singapore including south korea and japan and of course australia and new zealand um, alongside europe and um, north america um, but countries outside of that are going to see a discount apply to investments in them and that isn't just for those who are sort of um, lining up alongside if you like the authoritarian axis I'm sure there, um, there will be some snappier title than that come out soon but um, uh, along the lines of axis of evil or something like that no <laughs> doubt but uh, um, you, you know so you've clearly got China you've got Russia you've got Cuba you've got Venezuela you've got Iran all in that brackets at North Korea um, um, but you've got people who sat on the fence at the UN when the resolution about condemning Russia for its invasion came on and this includes um, India Brazil and South Africa so all of the BRICS the Brazil Russia India China South Africa crew really are outside of what 
might be seen as the West. Um, and, you know, we, we've seen India strike deals with uh, Russia for, for cheaper oil. China's doing the same. We saw Pakistan, we saw the Pakistan um, Prime Minister Imran Khan going off to shake hands with Putin shortly after um, uh, Russia's invasion. That's astonishing, um, really. Uh, and what this means is clearly these places are not going to be uh, friendly towards the West and investors are going to in this deglobalizing world they're going to say well actually we have to apply a discount not only to investments in these countries but also to any revenue streams coming out of them so if if you are a hotelier with big exposure in china um that is now going to be discounted so if we look back 10 years ago uh, any global major hotel group that didn't have a big exposure to china was getting beaten up um now i don't think we're quite at the point where if you've got a big exposure to china you will be beaten up but I, I do think we're at a point where that is nowhere near as valuable as it once was. Um, and I think this will cause a reorientation re re in terms of where global hotel companies go for growth. So I think North America good, Europe good, um, part the parts of Asia which can be seen to be Western aligned like Japan, South Korea and Singapore, good, Australia good, um, elsewhere not so good um, and, and there will be a, a, a reassessment here um, and it, it's, it is a significantly changed world I think, more so than any other events in, in the last 30 years I would suggest uh, this is really changing how um, the macro picture you know it's really changed the macro picture for investors um, and I think this is going to have quite profound implications on how global hotel groups grow going forward. Well that's the that's you talking about the investors but what about the brands? The brands are continuing to feel the heat because of what's going on in Ukraine uh, and um, we, we're kind of seeing a we can start drawing drawing lists out of the, uh, the 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 companies, the brands that have decided quite clearly to uh, extract themselves right away from from doing business in Russia, and to those those who are sort of uh, saying saying the right things, perhaps sitting on their hands, and then uh, in the in the dark corner, those who are looking on uh, the, the situation as a great opportunity. Um, but the, uh, the ho a group of hoteliers in Ukraine has been the latest to kind of pile more pressure on the international brands by um, suggesting to them they should be doing more and it's all very well saying you're going to suspend hotel development and, and future investment in Russia. Um, that's fine, but actually uh, they're, what they're saying is you know, you now need to actually th be a bit more demonstrably supportive uh, of Ukraine and, and you should be closing down your operations in Russia. Um, that, of course, the the flip side of that is uh, is the argument that that, um, that Sebastian Bazin from from Ackle came out with at a recent conference um, in London and and was talking about the need to kind of carry on being supportive of guests who need to be housed in Russia and uh, staff who still need jobs in Russia and on and and then then also saying as an aside that uh, actually they're not making any money out of their hotels in Russia even if they do keep them operating. So it's a tricky one. Um, it's a kind of a, a reputational danger. Do you keep going? Do you plough on? Or do you say, up with this, we will not put, we are absolutely closing our doors in Russia.
Mm. I, I think it's, it is a nuanced argument that is being made here, but frankly there are lots of other companies that are in a similar position to um, hoteliers um, and they have made the decision to pull out um, and really nuanced arguments aren't going to be heard and understood in an environment um, like the one we're in right now in terms of it's a war um, and wars aren't typically places for nuanced arguments it's very binary um, you're either with us or you're against us and I think it's quite clear um, where hotel brand companies need to be right now um, and and that that surely is to exit um, I started my comment piece um, uh, in the print in the you know, still call it print in in the online version the the, the written version um, of hotel analyst perspective and i used a quote by rabbi rabbi hillel which is uh, if not now when um and that that is a statement meant to inspire people to take immediate action and not to wait for someone else to step up um it, the problem is that with the hotel companies it does look like they are doing a bit of hand wringing they're not really stepping up now and they're going to have to make a decision here on what 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 the future is um and I, I think that that decision ought to be pretty clear for them where they've got to go this is the biggest conflict we've seen um since the second world war we've probably going to get 10 million plus refugees we've got the two biggest countries by land mass in europe um uh, fighting each other with advanced armies um this is pretty you know, this is as grim as it gets it's time to to accept that situation and if brand companies want an example of what's going to happen to them um the recent furore over decathlon is a good example i think where this french sports retailer has been uh criticized by the ukrainian government in fact the foreign minister of ukraine called openly for a boycott of the business um and it, it was hit by by uh, people lobbying and you know a a activists out there trying to start up a boycott and that has led to them closing their uh, what 60 odd um outlets in russia um it, but it's not a good look because they've the, the end that they've just looked like they're backtracking rather than look like they're actually listening to what's going on and taking action in advance they they look like they're being forced to do the bare minimum um and in fact the owners of uh decathlon which is uh, a french privately held group um um also has leroy merlin and the is it Orkun? Orkun? I don't know how you pronounce the supermarket. Osha. Osha, yeah. thank you. Mm -hmm. There we go, you're the pronunciation specialist. Osha, the um, supermarket chain. Well, they're keeping them open in Russia, um, citing reasons very similar to those which um, Sebastian Bazan said. I do think they're going to be able to carry on with that either, and I think that's going to get stopped. And the fact of the matter is, it's very unlikely that these sanctions are going to go away anytime soon. Even if there is an outbreak of peace, it's very difficult to see the sanctions such suddenly being reversed certainly if you listen to um, the uk government you listen to uh, the us government they seem very intent on keeping this and keeping russia contained via the use of sanctions so i don't imagine that um you know that there's going to be a uh, an easy resolution um to this current problem so um if hoteliers uh, hotel brand companies are hanging on um to trying to 
um, you know, think, okay, well, look, we don't want to give up what with the progress we've made in in Russia, which is the most, you know, the biggest, most populous country in Europe, and it's a, you know, it's it's, it's not a huge market, but it's a significant market. Um, but I, I think they've got to say, well, this is lost now. That cash has gone. Then they, they already acknowledge they're not making any money there. And I think that it was going to look better if they say, look, we've got to get out of here. And now I know you talked to a few lawyers, Chris, and you know that the legal position is is not entirely clear. There is some liabilities in there. But in the end, I think you know the worst case scenario is that the brand companies have to stump up some compensation for the owners. Um, quite how they will pay that compensation in in the given the <laughs> yeah. sanctions situation is is, is dollars or gas but, uh, but yeah. <laughs> yeah quite it's uh, it's interesting but uh, um, so it's a challenge in in the wider piece I go into as well um, on this issue in in the perspective um, I look at the outbound market uh from russia i mean it's pretty meaty it's you know they're the sixth biggest outbound market were in 2019 2.4 percent of the world's tourism spend overseas um in fact ukraine was a further 0.6 percent so three percent overall from those two countries uh, uh 14 billion us dollars worth according to the world tourism organization so uh, how much of that is lost well, well remains to be seen it's interesting that a number of countries have really benefited last year from russia coming back earlier um from covid um uh, Seychelles and Maldives in fact um, they had a set you know Russians leapt up to 17% of um, the total number of tourists um, in those two countries certainly Dubai has seen an increase uh, uh, UAE um, has seen an increase too anecdotally we, we're hearing reports are right now actually there are more Russians in Dubai than ever um, so how this is going to play out you know if Russia does get hit heavily um, now the signs are actually that Russia's economy is not going to be quite as crippled as um, as initially heralded at the beginning of this whole sanctions regime um, the ruble now is almost back to where it was pre-pandemic it's certainly not anywhere near in sort of crisis zone um, almost certainly Russia will go into recession but it's it's not going to be quite as devastating as uh, once thought I think um, so I think there still will be a, an outbound market which will you know, which will be a relief to the likes of Turkey um, which is 14% of uh, visitors were from Russia in 2019 and Israel is a significant place Tunisia as well so uh, you know um, th these places will um, in a way uh, are, are benefiting from the failure of sanctions but uh, um, I, I think from a, the main point of our story in terms of um, how this is going to play out it's a long game and I think what we're seeing is western sanctions are just going to be ratcheted more and more up I mean we're talking about a fifth wave of sanctions from the EU at the moment um, I think it's gonna get tougher and tougher and as they source energy supplies from elsewhere I mean interestingly um, I dug up some numbers showing that 21 billion euros has been spent by the EU on Russian energy supplies since the start of this um, conflict so that 21 billion is clearly shoring up Putin's mm. war efforts really um, and the the EU you know but I, I think it's sensible that the EU is just suddenly not you know 
going into crash mode by turning off those gas and oil supplies um, and that they are looking to source elsewhere and looking to have um, you know to be able to stop buying um, energy um, from Russia towards the end of this year um, in the case of oil and um, gas probably a, a year or two further down the track maybe several years down the track but nonetheless this is a long-term uh, divestment strategy here and I think um, hotel brand companies ought to uh, read the runes and understand um, which way they need to start. Now I think jumping. we're going to look a little further ahead to something perhaps a bit more optimistic and uh, the return of events. Andrew, you, what do you want to tell us? Yeah, so I, I yeah I went along to the uh, operational real estate conference um, by CBRE um, in London, um, uh, and and it was a, a pretty um, um, optimistic atmosphere overall. Um, I, th I think the the attractions were um, um, of, of operational real estate were were being shouted, um, not just from sort of the usual suspects, already existing players in operational real estate investment, but interestingly, there were a couple of. Uh, uh, institutional uh, investors um, on a panel session um, who are less uh, exposed to operational real estate. Um, DWS, the old uh, Deutsche Asset Management people who have a big uh, bill to rent um, residential investment portfolio, particularly in Germany, um, and Delancey. Uh, Lorna Brown, who's Director of Capital Markets from Delancey, was speaking as well. Um, both her and Jessica Hardman, the Head of European Portfolio Management at DWS, um, were saying, you know, we're not going to sort of entirely get a move away from lease structures, those those offer uh, um, they are important in the mix but they are increasingly looking to expose themselves to um, an element of the opco and they're interested in the different um, types of um, um, exposure that are available in terms of the structures whether it's turnover leases or um, even going as far as buying a platform um, which they can directly control um, to make the, their their real estate investments um, and, and it was a very encouraging uh, sort of atmosphere um, uh, around that and uh, um, the, probably the big most downbeat element of the day was just how gruesome the the, the whole Covid um, lockdown piece was for a number of sectors um, notably hospitality Kate Nichols CEO of UK hospitality was a, on a panel session she pointed out that this has left a, a third of SMEs in hospitality with no capital reserves at all um, and she said that this is massive um, increase in uh, 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 energy um, prices 250% increase she said um, and um, she said this was actually going to be a key driver for ESG not uh, 2030 or 2050 uh, net zero um, for us most or many SMEs it's a case of surviving to the summer um, and the, these these huge um, energy costs are going to be um, uh, a major issue so you're sort of coming out of a very difficult period into uh, another difficult period um, 
ultimately i think and we've said this before uh this is going to favor consolidation in the sector it's going to unfortunately see a number of these smes disappear uh, and the, the bigger companies um succeed um karen bosher managing director at green king uh she was on a panel um and she pointed out that uh, uh, Green King already the seventh biggest hotelier by room count in the UK um, and it's still in aggressive acquisition mode. Um, she was very bullish on the recovery in London. She said it was going to come back um, ahead of expectations, so which is uh, a, a promising thing to hear. Um, there's also David Keller from um, Invesco and he was talking about uh, the relationship with landlord and tenant and just how much change has been driven by this experience during uh, um, the lockdowns um, and that coming out of this um, um, landlords are going to want much more control and they're going to the agreements whatever they're called they're going to look a lot more like a management contract than they are a lease um, because of the need for this control and it's a sharing of gain and a sharing of pain um, in the agreements which is going to be the now fairness. we're going to turn our attention to our five star and no star awards uh, for this week and this week we're giving five stars to the hoteliers of venice who have uh, gone on the attack against marauding seagulls who are coming and stealing people's lunch and then stealing leftovers once they're left uh, on the table outside their restaurants and and hotels um, the first batch of water pistols were apparently bright orange plastic and the bright seagulls have, have quickly worked out anyone who's got anything orange on their table steer well clear of them <laughs> so you don't actually have to pick the pistol up to or use it you just merely have to have it Holstered behind you, besides you. <laughs> Fantastic. And we've got slightly more serious uh, no stars this week. And um, that's to those investors who are, are going into the, the Russian corporate debt market and sniffing around for bargains. Obviously, highly distressed paper. Um, um, at the moment and um, one of those um, investors they were named um, in the FT as uh, Golden Tree and uh, listeners to this podcast will remember that Golden Tree are of course one of the investors in Travel Lodge there we go and on that salutary note we'll say goodbye for now <laughs>